Welcome to Science Bites, a podcast from Australia's leading supercomputing and big data research facility, the National Computational Infrastructure. You'll be hearing from some of our users about their careers, their scientific research, what excites them about the work they do, and how supercomputing and data technologies help them make scientific discoveries. Coming from all around the world and from a huge range of scientific disciplines, they are the people behind the science headlines you see every day. And now it's over to Andy in conversation with today's guest, Dr. Hesindu Gamaharachi. Dr. Hesindu Gamaharachi is a genomics computing systems engineer in the Genomic Technologies Group for the Garvin Institute of Medical Research. Hi, Dr. Hesindu. Thanks for joining us. How are you today? I'm pretty good. Thanks. Fantastic. Where are you joining us from today? Uh, from Garvin Institute of Medical Research. In Paddington in beautiful Sydney. Yeah. And so what brought you to the Garvin Institute? So I came for my PhD to UNSW Sydney. And during that time, I was collaborating with Garvin Institute of Medical Research for my project. And then after the PhD, ended up starting a postdoctoral position here. And what got you interested in genomics in the first place? So to give a little bit of a background, I'm originally like a computer engineer. Mm-hmm. I did my bachelor's degree in Sri Lanka from University of Peradeniya on computer engineering. But when looking for PhD project, I was looking for something which is a bit like of biology side as well into it, yeah. but with computer engineering as well. And I found a suitable project, UNSW. That's how I came into this genomic computing area. What a brilliant crossover. That's amazing. A lot of people wouldn't think of the merging of the two, but I'm pretty sure that will become more and more apparent in the podcast that it's a big and emerging field. So why is genomics important for the average Australian, would you say? So this genome is like the blueprint of life. So every human has a genome and that like encodes everything about that particular person. So Learning about this genome is quite useful in like better diagnosing diseases and maybe treatments and also to see whether you are at risk of a certain thing in the future and many more. And of course, it's not just humans that have genomes. It's also uh, other living and semi-living things around us, including viruses. Now, You helped develop an Android app that is able to take data from a sample of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which we all know and don't really love, and you determined the virus's complete genome sequence. That's amazing enough, but then you remember that this is an Android app. You're able to do it on your smartphone. Yes, so that's another part. Like, as you said, like, genomes are not just for humans. For viruses, it's for bacteria, and even for plants. It just blows my mind that you're able to do this with a smartphone. And that's before we even consider what the possibilities could be with what you can do with this technology at the point of healthcare and elsewhere. What what are the main use cases for this app? So this app is mostly like a proof of concept to show that these kind of like genomic analysis can be done even on a like a system with limited computational power. The background stories now there are were these like genome sequences which are portable like there's a handheld genomic sequencer from Oxford Nanopore Technologies called the Minion but few years ago 
even though this device is portable the analysis had to be always done on a big supercomputer so that negates the actual use of that portable device yeah because you could otherwise have taken it to anywhere on the earth and done the thing but if you have to transfer those data which are like which are in order of hundreds of gbs mm. so through internet it's not really practical to transfer all those from remote regions so having a compute unit that can do this in a portable fashion was pretty important we thought so that's why we built this proof of concept application to show that the analysis if optimized properly can be even done on a smartphone that's amazing and uh, of course as you say the smartphones they're pretty cool but the computing power even compared to a laptop is kind of limited but then you compare it to the systems at NCI and it vanishes into almost nothing but what have the uh, the systems at NCI done for you that you haven't been able to do on something like well more limited like a smartphone but even like a desktop computer when you like uh, for why the virus genomes are pretty small like 30000 bases the coronavirus genome so it's like not that much of a challenge to do it on a phone after you optimize the software but if you take a human genome it's 3 billion bases oh and when you sequence a single sample using a nanopore device you get 1 terabyte of data so that's a massive amount of data yeah and that kind of analysis still require high performance computers to effectively of course you can do small regions on a smartphone but to do a full genome analysis you need high performance computers and at garvin we have this like big benchtop sequencer which can sequence 48 human genomes in parallel from wow. 48 individuals let's say it's called the promethean so this within 3 days generate uh, like 1 terabyte per each flow cell so that's 48 terabytes in 3 days wow so all this data has to be processed to actually have a meaningful result mm. so what you get from the sequencer is a set of a raw signal because when the dna strand passes through a pore it measures this ionic current and this sensor ionic current values are what the sequence provides we need to do the number of analyses to actually decode this signal into bases nucleotides and so on and what else are you working on that you're currently using high performance computing for one application we use is for this process called base calling where we convert the signal into nucleotide bases that requires a massive amount of gpu power yeah so we use nci's i think nci has like 500 tesla v100 gpu so we use lot of gpus to enable this base calling as quickly as possible That's fascinating. I um in a previous life decades ago I used to build 
computers back in the uh, back in the world of 486s and at the time GPUs were these tiny it's just a tiny little card that you fit into the back of your computer and all it did was graphics that's what the G stands for but now GPUs are being used for a lot of complex mathematical functions that otherwise would have been done by the CPU the CPU is the yeah. central processing unit the GPU being the graphics processing unit what is it that the GPUs can do particularly when you put you know, hundreds of them in an array like in the NCI systems, Gardi and Rajan, what can you do there that you can't do with a CPU? So if you uh, go back to the history, why GPUs were developed was to like keep the graphics processing workload away from the CPU. Yeah. And because of, like a display has so many pixels and most of the time computations are pixel-wise, so embarrassingly parallel. So they made this GPU such that it has a large number of tiny little cores, like hundreds of tiny little cores. Yeah. Whereas on a CPU, it's like only like a do- maximally a dozen of very powerful cores. So that for each pixel computation, they had like a single like little processor. But then soon it was realized that most of the scientific computations like matrix manipulation, everything has this fine-grained parallelism. It is ideal to be used on the GPU architecture. Mm. So that's how it came into the scientific domain. Cool. So when it comes to using the high-performance computers at NCI, you mentioned a number before. How many, how many um, GPUs do you use at one, at one time? That depends on the queue. Uh, I think like we can use maybe 16 processors in parallel. So it's like 16 into four. I think it's like 64 GPUs. Hmm. That's amazing. I, I'm just trying to think of that in, in a regular office system. You wouldn't see that many GPUs on a floor or maybe uh, yeah, in, a, in a really big office. So high-performance computing and all those GPUs in a row, I suppose that helps expand the possibilities of what you're able to do. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, if you do these kind of base calling computations on the CPU, it will take like weeks probably. With the further development of even more high-performance GPUs and CPUs, what are some things coming down the pipeline that you're looking forward to being able to do or questions you're looking forward to being able to ask in the future, in the next few years? One thing we were recently working on is I.O. side because we realized the signal data comes in a format called FAST5, which is developed by the Oxford Nanopore Technologies Company. Mm-hmm. And when you try to process large data sets using this particular file format, especially on systems like NCI, where you have distributed like data, like this system, soon the I.O. becomes a bottleneck. Because it has so many processors, so many GPUs, but that massive amount of data you have to read, and that becomes a bottleneck. Ah. So we identified the problem was mainly because this fast five format does a lot of random accesses, which is not really suitable for distributed these systems like in NCI. So what we did was we developed a new domain-specific file format. Because it was fast file, we ironically named it as slow file because it's very fast. <laughs> yeah. 
and we developed this format called slow file which basically can do sequential access rather than random access so that helped us to improve the runtime a lot before this file format even on the gpus we still had to spend like maybe a week to do the computation but after we wrote this new file format and converted that data into this particular format the runtime reduced to like 7 hours so there was a big improvement so yeah. that shows that how having a domain specific file format that's more customized or more like optimized towards these kind of disk systems can improve performance so at the moment we are working on integrating this format into various workflows now I've read a little bit and I've seen I've heard a little bit from the futurist Raymond Kurzweil who talks about medicine development and where computing systems are going to assist there and um he talks about current medicine development being sort of hit and miss where say there's a drug that treats a disease that they might discover that drug treats this disease just purely by accident by hit and miss but I believe that Ray Kurzweil is talking about in the future and perhaps it's happening now high performance computing being able to find where the locks and the keys fit together to make a better medicine more quickly. Do you see a similar sort of future where medicine and information technology intersect in that way? Yeah, it's already slowly happening. Yeah. Because as I told earlier the genome is the blueprint of like the person So it has all the information about that person to make it the person from the scratch if necessary. So yeah. all the diseases and how the things would happen is there. But you have to find like which gene in the genome affects a certain disease or how that gene would be affected by a drug. So mm. for doing that kind of research you need to like sequence a large population you have to find the relationship between the genes and the drug if necessary so when you sequence like let's say a million of genomes like it's now 1 terabyte into 1 million right yeah. <laughs> it's a massive amount of data so you need to be able to quickly process them and somehow like do this analysis so slowly we are moving towards that goal yeah Gordon Moore, formerly of Intel, came up with what is now known as Moore's law, where the number of transistors on a circuit doubles every 18 months and therefore the speed will become exponentially faster and faster. Is that still something that's the case, particularly in high performance computing? Does that apply there? And is it is is it something you're noticing with the systems that you use? I think the uh, this Moore law recently has slowed down a bit mm-hmm. compared to the past. Experts like Hensley and Patterson, who are like pioneers in computer architecture, recently stated that because this Moore law has slowly slowed down, we need to look into domain-specific architectures. What is meant by domain-specific architectures is hardware or processors which are made especially for that task mm. like if it's for genomics the processor that is designed for that rather than having a general purpose processor 
It'll be interesting to see the different applications for that in the future. Hesindu, what do you love most about the work that you're doing? Uh, mostly because it's very dynamic. It keeps on updating and new and new things come. So things are always changing. So that makes me very enthusiastic and it's not boring. Absolutely brilliant. I'm sure it isn't. Dr. Hesindu Gamarachi, thanks so much for joining us today. And thanks to you, yes, you with the earbuds in, for listening to Science Bites. You can keep up with what Hesindu is working on on Twitter at Hesindu2008. And NCI is on Twitter at NCI News and on LinkedIn as National Computational Infrastructure. Bye for now. 